0: Welcome to Step Up, the podcast where we learn to advocate like a woman. I'm your host, Ellen Troxclair. Each week, we talk to a different leader about how she became active in policy and politics. Whether it's joining an organization or running for office, I hope you come away feeling not only supported and inspired, but determined to step up and be a part of shaping your community and country. So thrilled to have my good friend and mentor, really, Stacey Hawk here with us recording today. She is a philanthropist. She's an activist. She's a businesswoman. She's a mom of four boys. She is a board member at the Texas Public Policy Foundation and also the chair for Texans for Education Opportunity. So her, her resume really goes on forever, but um, I, I know her just as an amazing friend and someone who has been really impactful in changing um, and pushing the policy conversation here in Texas. So thank you, Stacy, for joining us today.
1: Thanks, Ellen. It's good to be
0: here. So I, I met you when I was running for city council actually. I remember our first lunch uh, over at Josephine House when um, we, we just kind of connected about a polish a, a passion for, for policy. And you were so supportive and kind of immediately enthusiastic and and really willing to jump in and support me in my campaign and that has just meant the world to me. So, So thank you for that. Well, that's right. And thank goodness you did it. You did. You leaned in and you ran
1: and it was hard. I think every single step of it was hard, running's hard, uh, making that sacrifice, serving in that capacity, you know, being that lone voice often of reason, but always doing it with grace and elegance. And you were just this bright light for Austin. So thank you.
0: Oh, yeah, I appreciate that. It's it's fun to, or it's just funny to think back to the five years ago now um, and how how much has changed for me just personally and professionally since then. Uh but yes, you're right. I don't regret it for a minute. I'm so glad that, that I that I did step up and make the decision to run. But I I wouldn't have done it without the support of people like you. So I'm um, endlessly grateful. So and really you have set you have been you have set such an amazing example of how, how to be impactful, but you have chosen to do it. From in a different capacity, you know the we've talked to several elected officials who, of course, being an elected official is a good way to influence policy, but you can also do it um, through you know you you have founded organization an organization that was that is promoting. making reform to our public education system, you have, uh, you support candidates who you believe in who are running for office. And of course, you influence policy through your role as a board member at TPPF. So how, why, I guess, why have you kind of chosen to be impactful in that way? Um, and and what, how do you choose what capacities to to get involved in?
1: Well, I'll tell you, I've long been passionate about policy, particularly economic policy at the federal level, um, and that has led me to be uh, to care about politics and to engage in pretty traditional ways, whether it's volunteering my time a little bit or being informed or being sure that I voted. Um, it was when we were moving back to Texas from New York mm-hmm. that Phil Graham, former U.S. Senator of Texas, and a personal hero of mine reached out and asked for me to come down and meet with him at his home outside of San Antonio. And so I did. And he really laid out the case. He said, Stacy, you have been so focused on raising everyone's boat through philanthropy and service in that way. I want you to think about doing it through policy change. Mm -hmm. And that was the first time I had married my passion for economic policy particularly, but policy in general, with my desire to elevate folks who are in poverty, to lift our community up, um, and do that through primarily philanthropy, but a variety of ways. And I got very excited about the reality that policy change does have major systemic impact. Mm On especially those most vulnerable in our Mm -hmm. society, and so that led me down this path.
0: You're right. We don't often connect that with. We don't often connect policy work in our minds with kind of a, a, a way to like. It's it's it seems. It seems very separate in our minds from charity work, right? That's right. Um, policy seems pol- politics is like, oh, well, that's dirty and divisive, and you know that's a whole messy situation. Mm-hmm. But I, so I'm going to go vo- volunteer with Salvation Army or whatever it is. But right. but you are so right that policy decisions that are being made actually have the potential to really, I mean, they do. They do impact. Um, the lives of millions of people across the country. Um, and I think having that shifting that mindset a little bit is um, kind of opens the door maybe for for women to think about channeling the volunteer work that they're already doing into a little bit different lane. Little That's bit different right. Capacity. That's
1: right. When you change the law, you change the world. Mm-hmm. You change society. And we should think about it not only in volunteering, although Mm -hmm. I think that's extremely important, and that's one way to lend your voice to the chorus of what should be voices. It's one way to elevate discourse. Mm -hmm. If you're put off by the political rhetoric today, then that's the most valuable time for you to add your voice to the conversation and to get equipped. And I have lots of ideas about how to lean in that way. And I think we shouldn't shy away from considering it our civic responsibility to contribute financially as well where we see fit where we feel comfortable where we've decided um, it's a policy priority for us Mm -hmm. that we're moved in that area or where we find a candidate that we think really represents our ideals someone said to me recently that He has started committing to essentially, it's like a a minor tithe, a 1% commitment to political giving. That's the first I've ever heard of someone put it that way. Mm -hmm. But it was along these ideas of I feel a responsibility to engage, not just with my vote or with some of my volunteer time or with my voice, but I should contribute financially as well. Mm -hmm. Because I am fortunate enough to be in a position to do that. And frankly, we all are um, depending on our particular means. Um, but when you put your money where your mouth is, I think it's, I think it's a next level of engagement that's important.
0: So, I mean, the, the, it's a really interesting way to think about it because people, people are busy. Um, So as much as I want to encourage people to go block walk for a candidate that you support or run for office, I mean, the reality is that it's not possible. This might not be the thing that is most possible for you right now. Um, I would argue
1: it might not even be the most valuable contribution you could make. It might not be the best use of your time. It might be that the better use of your time is building your business or leaning in with your household, but that it empowers you to contribute in other ways that are in your wheelhouse. And I think that a big part of that is having the financial resources Mm -hmm. to participate Mm -hmm. as well as the voice or the community. I mean, it goes back to how a personal conversation with someone who's in your circle can totally change the trajectory Mm -hmm. of someone's life choices I think that is true for how we see all of these politics we need to make it a comfortable thing to constructively debate explore talk about get informed and and not shy away from that today I see too many women feel that it is toxic and negative in a way that is no longer comfortable to talk about even with Mm -hmm. their their close friends in their community Mm -hmm.
0: So you're making the argument that you should think about political giving as kind of a regular a regular thing that you're building into your budget. I know
1: that sounds pretty outside a lot of folks' comfort zone. And there are ways to engage that are more purely on policy, um, whether it's through think tanks, which is C3 education and research, um, and getting those ideas out there that's serve elected officials and legislatures and policymakers, um, or if it's taking a more active role that could still be done anonymously. Political giving is not anonymous and that's one thing that gives people pause. Mm-hmm. Um, Political giving
0: when you're giving directly to a candidate. To a candidate. Yeah. That's right.
1: So if, you know, giving to a candidate or a party might feel particularly like a big leap mm-hmm. um, and so perhaps a good place to start is in areas that you care about and organizations that are helping, you know, give voice and credence to those ideas.
0: And the and the reality is that all the all of these candidates and all of these organizations, I mean, they, they can't exist without funding. Right, so all the good work that they're doing. I mean, you can't you, you can't run a campaign with zero dollars. Um, you can't get elected. You can't get good good people elected to office without fundraising. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can certainly make a bigger impact as a nonprofit organization in furthering your policy message if you have funding to reach people. So I I, I do think that that's a part a piece that really has is often left out of the conversation and. Um, and I I thank you for challenging us to really think about it. But you are involved in so many different capacities, and yet you're an amazing mom and um, have a great marriage, and are always are always volunteering um, your your time and your help in all of these different capacities. What is like what you, what is your life hack? Do you have a doppelganger or a twin? <laughs> <laughs> Not the evil one, just the... well I you're one to ask
1: cuz you're doing you're doing it as well but i think it boils down to priorities and um and also carving up your day in a way that re- reflects that so i'm a big believer in quality time with my kids and that looks like a certain amount of time each day and a certain amount of time each week and a certain amount of weeks each year and And that is very high on my scheduling priority. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that I'm most productive for things like emails and more concentrated work in the morning. So I have a nice, quiet chunk of time to catch up on those things. Mm -hmm. I love doing phone calls when I'm in transit. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm also better at that after lunch in the afternoon where I feel like my brain goes a little mushy. And if I sit in front of my computer, I'll just start... um, meandering in ways that I seem productive but um aren't quite as much. So I've over time you learn about yourself and how to be most productive and when are those moments that um you need to be there as a Mm -hmm. mom and and what that right balance is. And it's always a process. It's Mm -hmm. always a process. And you go through periods of time where you're like, okay, I'm gonna commit to something and in this case, Victory Chair, you know, for the next year That's going to be enough of a time commitment that other things have to diminish. Mm -hmm. So I have other board roles that are I'm going to have a lighter touch. Mm -hmm. Um, And in some cases, it's time to transition off of those because I want to make this a priority and I want to commit to this well. Um, So For each person, it looks different.
0: It's funny that you mentioned making phone calls in the car because if I'm in the car, if I'm driving now and I'm not – On the phone, I like feel like there's something that I am missing. I'm like, what? who should I be calling right now? What should I be doing right now?
1: I'm the same way. I'm the same way. It drives my husband crazy. He thinks I'm, you know, he's he's afraid I'm going to be distracted if I'm talking while I'm driving. But um, I said it actually helps me concentrate on my driving more. If I'm not talking on the phone, I'm... Blasting some music and singing along, which is also very therapeutic. <laughs> That's
0: something I would like to see. Yeah. Well, and we spend so much time in traffic here in Austin that, you know, you have to, you have to make use of that time somehow. That's right. Um, so you mentioned Victory victory Chair. Tell us, tell us about that. What is that?
1: Well, it is my first purely political role, which is different. Um, the job is supporting the election of Republicans up and down the ballot all over the state of Texas in the general in 2020. So it's really Senator Cornyn down. The presidential is its own beast. Um, There is Trump victory, uh, which is very much a national affair and there are Texas chairs for that. But this is Republican Party of Texas and candidates within the border. So we're looking at Senator Cornyn being at the top of the ticket. Um, We have a number of statewides and then we're looking at the congressional delegation. There's a number of seats there that are in play. And then um, the Texas House is getting a lot of attention mm-hmm. because um, there's a lot of seats there that are in play. And I am loving it. I love it because we get a chance to talk about why our ideas are the right governance for Texas. We get a chance to talk to candidates and beef them up in the areas that uh, they're finding their voice, they're finding their case, Um I get to be behind the scenes and see the inner workings of a political campaign Mm -hmm. and what that looks like, which is very interesting. First and foremost, my role is fundraising. So I get to talk to donors a lot and hear what they're worried about, what drives them, what they Mm -hmm. care about. Mm -hmm. Again and again, over and over, it's preserving the freedoms they've known for their children and their grandchildren and generations to come, wanting to keep Texas a bastion for individual liberty, but also personal responsibility, uh, something that's really pro-business. It's pro-innovation. It's enterprising as an individual. It says, go and pursue your passions with zeal, and we wish you the best. There's no guarantees, Mm -hmm. but we want to make sure this structure is there where we have light regulatory environment, the, only the taxation that we need to have the infrastructure in place for us to function well as a community. We don't want to prescribe upon the future what should be. We want to wait and see what they find is possible. Mm-hmm. And it's that rugged spirit that is still very much at the core of what makes Texas Texas. And people want to cling on to that um, fiercely. And so it's it's encouraging.
0: Do you... How is, how is the candidate slate shaping up? Do you? It's exciting. It's exciting.
1: So if you follow Texas politics, you know that we've had five congressmen retire. And, you know, we have a 36 in our congressional delegation. And so naturally, you're going to have some turnover every cycle. And even if we had five every time, we're still looking at an average 14-year tenure in Congress. I think plenty of people would say that's a reasonable... Um, cycle rate Mm -hmm. often when folks don't retire for a while people complain that things look the same it's stale you need to give new folks a chance and then when uh these things do to come in a little bit of waves so when you have five or so retire at once then folks think oh my goodness what's happening here but it's a huge opportunity and we're seeing candidates step up in the best way we have more women stepping up to run for office than we've ever had at the congressional level and also down ballot in the texas house we have more young people, young professionals, more veterans, African-Americans, all walks of life, Hispanics, Asians. We want to show in our candidate slate as much as in every other way that the Republican Party is a big tent Mm -hmm. and we have members who represent that. Um, So it's it's healthy, it's vibrant. I think it gives us new energy Mm -hmm. and important new voices. So I'm very excited about the candidates who are stepping up to run. And, you know, as someone who is victory chair for the party, we love having full, robust primaries mm-hmm. for these open seats. Um, we think that's healthy and positive and lets districts find the strongest candidate for them. So that's what we're seeing. And I think it's going to serve us well in the general
0: yeah there there is a huge opportunity there's going to be a lot of seats to fill and that's a big job for you to take on so thank you and I think that you're the perfect messenger to be relaying the message for uh, for conservatives and and really for inspiring people to to step up and step into those roles and and take the opportunities that that are available right now so th- thank you for doing that um so speaking of kind of candidates and leaders who are who who is inspiring to you right now what um, who should we be following? Who should we be paying attention to?
1: I think Chip Roy is knocking out of the park. Mm. He had an article this week about healthcare. He's our
0: congressman. From, he is her congressman. Uh, He's from, I guess, Hayes County, right?
1: That's right. So sort of West Austin all the way down to North San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And, um freshman congressman, but he's been around long enough to really hit the ground running. Mm -hmm. Very sophisticated when it comes to policy, very limited government. He's one of the only folks I see today talking about our deficit at the federal level. Um, I spent last weekend with Dan Crenshaw, another Mm -hmm. freshman congressman out of the Houston area, and I'm incredibly grateful for him. He's a veteran, he's famously uh, was on SNL, And he has embraced using social media and reaching young people and having the conversation and saying, I will answer any question you have. And I'm finding that he's a voice that is very reasonable. It's passionate. It's honest. But when I think about my heroes, my political heroes, you know, I mentioned Phil Graham. He's Mm -hmm. probably chief among them. Uh, Reagan, of course. What an incredible communicator. Yeah. Uh, Margaret Thatcher. What a warrior, a woman who uh, was home with children and mm-hmm. felt that she wasn't seeing the voice mm-hmm. that there should be and stepping up into that role and ended up having a backbone of steel when others would have folded at moments of crisis for Britain. Um, those stories are incredible. And those stories are happening today in America. And sometimes you don't know them right. until after the fact.
0: Right. Well, yeah, and 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 <clears throat> having the right messenger is is a good way to make sure that we're getting those points across. And so it's it's good. Those I think that those the congressmen that you mentioned are are doing that well. And
1: we need all walks of life. Um, no person perfectly represents me, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we all feel that way. Right. And right. that's why it is healthy to mm-hmm. have a chorus of voices in both parties mm-hmm. because. When you have a two-party system, you have to have really large tents. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you find folks who are either without a home um, or who don't know how to engage. Right. Because it feels, um, if there's any nuance to where you're coming from, it feels like people are going to shut you down or not be receptive. So mm-hmm. we can't be afraid to talk about the the edges and, and where we're
0: wrestling with how we feel. Um, so with, with all of the demands on your time and getting pulled in so many different directions, how, how do you choose what issues to commit to? Well,
1: for me, because I care about a lot of issues... I care a lot about a lot of things, mm-hmm. unfortunately or unfortunately.
0: And I love hearing, I love hearing that you got first involved by, or or that you are very motivated and passionate about um, economic issues at the federal level, because that I I share your passion for economic issues, and I feel like sometimes that's not the those aren't the the sexy issues that grab the grab the headlines. You know, it's always the social issues that that's people right. are talking about and people get passionate about, but. Um, i love me me right. some just fiscal discussion. So <laughs>
1: that's right. Well, you know, when I moved back to Texas and Phil Graham first reached out, I thought, well, gosh, Texas has a balanced budget. We're a pretty low regulatory environment. We are in a good place financially. You know, the, the economy's strong and we've saved a healthy rainy day budget. So I was just, I, I knew there were some, of course, things we could do, but I thought on the whole, we're in a pretty good place. And he said, well, just look into it and see what you find. And sure enough, Criminal justice reform was something I had been really focused on philanthropically. And TPPF was helping lead the way in really changing the way we thought about that mm-hmm. in Texas and making some major reforms, which were exciting to be a part of. Education reform was another area I had been very focused on philanthropically and found that Texas was really behind. We need to do more. So that... One of the reasons I chose to do that was because of how great and impactful I thought the need was and the potential for a relatively simple policy change that had been demonstrated by other states, that adopting that in Texas would be very worthwhile. And I didn't think the barrier would be as strong as it turned out to be, Mm -hmm. given that we have such a Republican state.
0: So you're pretty practical about the way that you uh, approach these kinds of decisions. It's hard to be a constant advocate for something if you don't ever see change. Like, you know, you can only do that for so long. You can only bang your head against a brick wall. And, um, and certainly school choice has been a frustrating issue for, for a lot of people who believe that that's the best path for, forward.
1: I think it's important to look at what is the low-hanging fruit? Where can a reasonable policy change or policy experiment even, open doors for widespread innovation, for dramatically freeing up people to pursue their their excellence and their passions and their paths. That's what really motivates me when I see government in some way controlling or holding back the possible and the potential, I think our most underlies asset in this country is our human capital. And education is a big part of that. Mm -hmm. Economic policy is a big part of that. And that's what drives me.
0: So that probably helps you looking for ways, uh, looking for places that not only you have the passion, but that you can find the low hanging fruit and really get those wins probably helps to propel you to continue to be involved and not get burnt out.
1: That's right. I think you have to realize that there is real opportunity cost when you choose to indulge in something. Mm -hmm. And if you find time and again that it's not being productive... At some point, you're going to realize there are better uses of my time.
0: I I have to say that the Austin City Council is coming to mind. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it was a worthwhile experience, and I'm proud of what I did there. But, you know, uh, at some point, it did feel feel like, okay, am am I making the difference? Or are there other ways for me to advocate um, that could be more effective?
1: That's right. And I hear from folks all the time who say, Stacey, you can have such an outsized impact on policy, not as an elected official, and serving in all the ways that you are and maintaining those relationships and pushing for those ideals from the outside can be just as important a role. So back to where we started, um, I am incredibly grateful for folks who make the sacrifice to put themselves out there and run for office. And someday it may make sense for me or for you again. Mm -hmm. Um, But in the meantime, there are very meaningful ways to contribute that can really change the world.
0: I love that. I don't even know where I go from there.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. I love it. So
0: is there um, a way that people can connect with you if they want to find out more about everything that you're involved in? Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Through the means that are interesting to you, I'd love for you to reach out to me through Texas Victory 2020, if you're interested in this next 2020 cycle. Um, I'd also love it if you're interested in policy at the state level, certainly through TPPF. Um, It'd be wonderful to connect in either of those forums.
0: Yeah, and just a a little plug for TPPF and the Liberty Leadership Council. Um, That organization is a group of young professionals that uh, well, it's it's an opportunity for young professionals to join and learn more about uh, what's going on at the state and federal levels and learn more about policy stuff. And that has been a really great uh, way for me to connect with other people who are interested in and invested Um in policy change, you know, not necessarily in politics, but people from all kinds of different industries. So, if if that's something that appeals to you, I encourage you to look up TPPF Liberty Leadership Council and um, maybe we can connect at an event there. That would be surely. great. Yes, indeed. Well, thank you so much for being here with us today. I just uh, am so I'm so grateful for everything that you are doing for our state. And uh, look forward to watching your continued success in all of the efforts that you'll commit your time and energy to.
1: Thank you, Ellen. You're a
0: superstar. <laughs> Thanks. Do you have a story or a question you want answered? Send me a note at Ellen at stepuppodcast.com. Also, give Step Up a rating and review in Apple Podcasts so we can reach and inspire more women. Don't forget to subscribe. I'm Ellen Troxclair. Thanks for listening. Now go advocate like a woman.